it's frequently been discussed how we keep data that we get from people on the internet to be accurate. Are they getting paid properly? Is the sample representative? Are they actually filling out the questions properly? The answer to this and many more questions is, well, they are if they're from prolific.co. Go to prolific.co slash everything hurts and get $50 worth of free credit to recruit participants online to answer questions for you so you can do science. There's a lot of, you know, uh, what can we do to help? Um, And it's not a very psychologically satisfying idea that the answer to what can I do to help is shut up and keep your head down and don't get in the way. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. James, how are you? Well, you're What's not new? from the University of Oslo right now. You're from your house. I am from the basement of my house. That's right. It's all closed Daniel up. Santiago Quintana, formerly of the University of Oslo, now from the basement. And he hasn't turned the camera around so far. You can see all the chains hanging off the walls no, and the just, rubber sheeting. Just, just, just on that way. <laughs> oh, well. We must have our hobbies, mustn't we? It's very important yeah. right now, especially during plague time, that we all have a healthy hobby. And I've been informed recently that whiskey does not technically constitute a healthy hobby. And that's, I mean, there's so much to know about it. How can something with that much history and structure be unhealthy? It's really unusual to read about, um, you know, what's happening at the, the hospitals that are two or three miles away to use the primitive American distance argot. Are you are you and, hearing all the all the sirens hmm. sort of stories that we're hearing out of New York where there's sirens all the time? Are you getting that being no, that close to a hospital no, 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 in Boston? No, no, no. It's also this is this suburb's nowhere near as dense as um, the, the parts of uh, Queens and the Bronx where um, all the, the really really bad um, cases are coming out of where density. Uh, so it's it's not it's not like that. It's mm. characterized by this curious stillness of everything, until you go to a store, of course, uh, where you can find someone who is, uh, let's be kind and say, functionally impaired, uh, lifting their mask off their mouth to pick their nose while they buy a packet of Funyuns, or, or the mask on on the face and not covering the nose. That's another classic. Oh yeah, it's, um, it's just the mask over the mouth. And people have had some really great ones. You know, pull the gloves off so you can use your phone. Like someone yeah, had a yeah, yeah. marvelous Classic. photo. Uh, the glove in the mouth so uh, he could take his hands and type on his phone. I'm looking forward to the uh, latex glove that'll do uh, that'll let you use your smartphone. I'm sure there's a market for that. Uh, well, the way that I've solved this, um, considering that you know there's, there's only a certain amount of distance and the screen is capacitive, you'll find that if you mm. put your phone in a Ziploc bag before you leave the house, you can use your hands on the outside of that. And as a phone is something that gets extraordinarily dirty, um, you could use the phone through the bag. And when I've been to the shops, actually, I take a, a Ziploc bag that fits the phone in one side uh, and on the other side of the phone, a, a, a contact credit card. Brilliant. So you can tap out 
Um, and when I, I go home, I, I go to the back of the house and I tip the phone and the credit card into something clean and throw the bag away. Brilliant. Easy, easy um, solution. But look, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're not here to talk. <laughs> we are here a little bit to talk about the uh, the pandemic. So, so, so far, so far, we've covered booze and the plague and the plague. But I do want to talk about the plague a little bit more, and I want to talk about how publication practice has changed during the pandemic. I think there's been a lot of interesting changes. One thing we've, we've spoken about recently, uh, a few episodes mm. ago on the podcast, is how some journals, which traditionally are not known for accepting preprints, are now accepting preprints that are related to to coronavirus. Um, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of stuff that's changing. Um, preprints are getting an amazing run for better or for worse. And I'm seeing a lot more discussion on Twitter for people who this is the first time they're actually being introduced to preprints. Oh, I saw a pearl of it. I think it was from you, of, of, of all people, James, um, did, did a tweet that was like, and now a story from a, a peer-reviewed article from the journal BioArchive. <laughs> yeah. That um, was that was that was from the Australian website news.com.au. Oh. Um which how, is how, how would you compare that for our for our American or our UK listeners? What what is the equivalent uh, uh, of news.com today? I I would say it's the sun without the tits or the New York Post without the screaming. Um it's basically imagine a huge anus full of words that, that, that <laughs> just, just that emanate them. issues out. Yeah, yeah. As uh, six journalists are just starting to write an angry tweet right now. No, I don't think it's a very good news website, and um, that's a obviously that's someone who's not a science reporter who is now attempting to report on frontline scientific information. Um, but you know, imagine if you if you had someone who was not a lawyer. And you went, this person who is a lawyer in a story, it would be regarded as um, a bit thick. So mm. there's that. Not, not to mention yeah, that uh, every, every page has a thing going, this is not peer reviewed. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's what you get when you don't actually open the article. Uh-huh. Um, there's a, yeah. That's just what, you, what you get for having it look like a journal. Um, this is, yeah. It's it's yeah. no harm done, of course, when you can actually put the bastard thing with very few changes into a journal. But uh, until then, <laughs> yeah, so much because there's been sources they didn't even read the source material. Because there's been that French bloke that's been uh, running around, what's doing, doing, doing a lot of stuff in regards to his studies. Three studies now, um, none mm. of them which have a a control arm from from, from what I've read. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I think you know a little um, bit more a little bit more about I, this. But- I, I wrote something about this recently. It's like the, the recovery metrics of a group of people treated with a drug when the general time course of recovery for the drug is not known makes about as much sense as saying if we take people to the zoo and rub a penguin on their earlobes, um, 99% of flu patients who undergo the oral penguin procedure uh, recover from the flu without complications, and it makes as much sense for all of us to 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 buy a ten pass to Waterworld or whatever the, wherever the fuck they keep the little bastards. Um, it's uh, it obviously raises questions of kind of science on the run and how to understand the baseline responsibility that researchers and journalists. And science communicators have to try and put this into perspective. And 
the nice thing is we're all very well placed to answer this because this is a discussion that's already been had about preprints. Um, it is also wildly irrelevant in the case that you've just mentioned. In the case of that first study, it was preprinted and then immediately shoved into publication 24 hours later. It was a, a, a one-day one day approval. Yeah, a soft journal. And then the uh, Elsevier released a statement to say that the normal peer review process was followed. Well, if that was the normal peer review process, mate, I think everyone would be a lot happier. <laughs> I, I re-reviewed a paper today that was submitted in late October. And part part of that, well, it's not so bad. I mean, considering what's happened in the last couple of months and also the fact that it's on its Probably it's a, it's in a review portal kind of journal. So it's one where like changes are made incrementally over time, but I didn't want to, you know, when someone else is making changes to the paper and then you, you start making your own changes, I didn't want a version control problem. I didn't want to dick about with it until like primary review was finished elsewhere. Also because it's on a, it's on a topic where, um, my comments are, more substantive than the other people's comments by virtue of experience. Usually it's the other way around, but in this case, uh, I get to be the expert. Um, so I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to review anything that's in flux because those things aren't coming in bunches. Anyway, um, it certainly wasn't a day. So we're now in this interesting situation, I suppose, where everyone's trying to figure out how all of this works while they're doing it, as opposed to let's gently dip a toe in and see what happens with our manuscripts over the next six months and and see whether or not this is a viable experiment. And when I was thinking about this recently, um, you realize that there's a tension. Part of it's created by human psychology and part of it is created by need and part of it is created by plausible deniability on the part of bad researchers. I will actually explain what all this means. You don't have to look so confused. Or is that just your face? That's your face. Okay. Um, you knot your brows a lot. You have to keep wearing that promotional hat. So I I'm can't trying to. I'm, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to follow what you're saying. But go on, Jack. Okay. So, wow, that's highly patronising. You should talk like that heaps. Um, <laughs> No, seriously, that's going to be pretty funny. We're going to get good. We're going to get good quotes if you talk to me like that. Um, no, really, I'm not. I'm, yeah, not, I'm not joking. Uh, okay, so if you if you have something that represents an immediate and pressing need, we need information about this as soon as possible. I've characterized the sort of problems with the present situation in terms of one: we have uh, an information problem with the plague. We don't know very much about it. We need to know its internal properties and transmission, um, how many people have it, how infectious it is, how, how, how long it takes you to recover, what the, the nature of the recovery is, um, uh, etc. Let's not go on. The second problem is mitigation. Right? No matter what it is, I mean, it could be flying knives. Uh, it could be a very short man with a toffee hammer that bangs everyone on the kneecap. Um, the way you avoid anything like this is by having uh, less contact with knives and short people. You go to your house and you stay away from the problem. Um, that's mitigation. You don't need a lot of information to perform a mitigation strategy. Obviously, it informs when you stop 
and the, the mechanics of which it should be performed, but it doesn't change the essential fact that um, everyone should be away from the source of the problem as much as possible. And then and the other side of that, you have the solution, which is not uh, mitigate the problem without being able to make it go away. That is uh, vaccines and drug development and various clinical trials, etc. So we don't have good knowledge on any of those things right now, even after lots of work on it in a reasonably short period of time. So in the absence of not a lot of knowledge between all three domains, we have a tremendous immediate need for understanding, um, which means we, in a problem that has a scientific solution, we have a tremendous need for scientific work. Uh, this is where I'm coming back to what I said previously. So everyone is rushing to be involved in this. And part of that is because there are people who are very well suited to answering the call that the problem has posed. Virologists, epidemiologists, uh, people who study uh, different, different bits and pieces of serology, um, public health, um, different different imaging functions, um, and, and, of course, trialists and hospitalists and whatever else. Uh, and then you have people who really want to be involved, because presumably they aren't collecting data anywhere else, and funding has opened up for all over the world, actually, for various schemes of study, uh, disease management. But you're talking uh, about people who don't normally do trials. this sort of, you're talking about people who don't normally do this sort of research and are now with the opportunity of funding or the fact that there are other researchers dried up and moving to this. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that the sort of- Yeah, okay. of course. Yeah, yeah. It's simultaneously the fact that a lot of research is very hard to do. Now, the mechanics of research are hard. So, you need to do something where you're sitting around on your thumb. Um, what are you actually going to do? A lot of research can't physically be done, right? And then there are some very alarming rumblings within the- university sector about what happens to my immediate prospects for employment, which means a lot of people are saying, well, I was going to move to the next job when the what's-his-name is released whenever. Um, they might not now because a lot of places have blanket hiring freezes because they don't know what's going to happen with their structural funding. Uh, they don't know how many students can come back and pay fees. They don't know how much money the government will want to give them if it needs to spend billions of dollars of making sure investment banks can still afford the caviar that they tuck into their dicks, um, whatever else. So there's an, there's an element to which the tremendous need for information results in relevant research. And there's also a degree to which it results in the most appalling amount of bandwagon writing and tenuous relationships between existing areas of study and something that just happens to have come up. Now, obviously, anyone who's been in research long enough when there's not a lot of money has seen this happen in other areas. You know, you work in uh, imaging in, say, a developmental problem 
and then someone who's a neuropsychiatrist who's never imaged anything beyond taking iPhone selfies says, do you want to collaborate on this thing? There's money in this scheme. And suddenly you go, oh, I know something about that. Certainly, yes, there's probably a way we can smash these two clown cars of research together and produce something that looks like a viable application because the more you ask for money in general, the more you get it. Um, so there's, there's an awful lot of shoehorning going on to begin with. And an awful lot has, in my estimation, increased to a fucking alarming amount. There's a lot of, you know, uh, what can we do to help? Um, and it's not a very psychologically satisfying idea that the answer to what can I do to help is shut up and keep your head down and don't get in the way of, you know, there's no thought of, well, I study I study the sociology of toenails, so I am now a COVID sociologist of toenail studying person. There's no thought given to could that money be better used elsewhere because everyone's trying to stay alive. But when you say get in the way, are you saying that they're getting funding that people who are otherwise more qualified to should have been getting? People, yes, the- yes, of course, of course. But that's also I'm well aware of the fact that that's not a determination that you can make. Yeah, there's a one answer to that is simply, well, let's let the fucking grant committee decide. Yeah, 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 gets yeah. the money. Yeah, of that. Yeah, okay. You make a scheme completely unwieldy, the inability to make proper decisions, and then uh, somehow it ends up going to uh, the, the the people who are, are, are best friends with a reviewer or something. <laughs> I don't think that happens a lot. I'm I'm being deliberately cynical. So you're caught between this idea of I'm really trying to help and do my best and keep all my stuff alive with I am doing something that is desperately weaselly and cynical and is almost certainly contributing to the problem. And naturally, everyone thinks they're trying to help. Mm. And you have to make your own determination of how much everything's getting in the way. Now, how does that relate to how does that relate to immediacy? Well, the immediacy is born of the fact that like other previous viral outbreaks, it's become perfectly straightforward and acceptable to share resources and information instantly. It happened to some degree with Ebola recently. Um, and because this problem is much better distributed more than anything else, Ebola is a very specific thing in a specific place. Um, but re- regardless of that, it wasn't just in one specific place called Ebola. It was from, it's a river, isn't it? It's a river. Um, it's a river. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't just there. It was in a, um, it was in a, in a region and then there were other like, isolated like a, like a cases delta. That, were, that, that were going elsewhere. So, and of course, research on it is not confined to the place that it's from, but now we are talking about, uh, the scientific apparatus of most of the world that has one. Um, and it's perfectly acceptable and straightforward to communicate the necessary information and data needed about that immediately. Yeah. And on that basis, a lot of people are discovering preprints from scratch. Wow, I just talked a lot. Um, <laughs> and that brings us to everyone's collective acceptance of what do I do now? How do I position myself? How do I help? Et cetera, et cetera. And the answer is, um, for some people, put things in the public domain as soon as possible. 
I have more opinions, but I'm going to stop now because it's the Everything Hurts podcast, not the James Rants Like a Drunk in a Bus Shelter podcast. Um, I I kind of see this as sort of a microcosm of the research apparatus in general in that you would hope that the best stuff floats to the top. So we're kind of just we're kind of just assuming that everyone's sort of throwing their hat in the ring and that all of a sudden just because it's a corona paper that it's going to get a free ride. I don't know if that's necessarily necessarily the case. So you have a, a bunch of people who, who who are looking at this highly sort of peripheral aspect of coronavirus based on their expertise not necessarily because it's relevant to coronavirus. Um I don't necessarily think think about how how many studies have you seen advertised on Twitter going my local psych department is doing a study on the psychological effects of coronavirus. Do my study. So right now we have hundreds. I, I, I think it would be very safe to say there are hundreds of psych studies um, where people are doing surveys. There's MTurk stuff. There's prolific stuff. People who yes, are yes. I was just about to say everyone should be using prolific. Everyone should be using pro- everyone should be using pro- yes. prolific because it's it's better quality than MTurk. It's not. It's not. It's not. Just, it's not just that. I've had several people who've uh, several. I can quantify that three or four um, who've told me that they've heard about it here, mm. um, and then they've gone and tried it, and they like it. This is and good. I didn't. I didn't agree to have uh, that information revealed publicly, but that's what's happening. Um, and I sincerely hope that's what would happen because obviously we don't want to have a partnership with people who we don't believe are doing something good. And it gives me more confidence in the fact that we've made the correct decision and that they are doing something that's truly useful. They probably had no idea how useful until, I mean, this is a somewhat unpredictable, uh, unless you were the exact people who were predicting it 15 years ago, of course, but we'll leave that for now. Um, yeah. So, well, okay, you said, so, look, you said that you, you, you've got this idea there. I'm like, oh, well, what happens? What happens if the, uh, the good things rise to the top? Well, what if they fucking don't? And grants are as confusing and poorly regulated and stochastically administered as we expect them to be. Look, you just said, you just said, you just basically said, I hope. Well, I yeah, hope. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. But what I'm saying, hope, hope doth butter no crumpets. Uh, I've started saying that a lot. I've decided that if the present day sucks, I'm going to live in the 19th century. <laughs> it was much better back then. Look, we, we have a situation. I think this is good though because it is uh, highlighting the fact that a lot of these studies, the main study that's been criticised for this new treatment, was a published study. So the mm. moment that people come out to say, "Look at these preprints. Preprints are bad. They're not peer reviewed." Then mm. it's a very, it's a very easy example now that you can just point to this one study, which was allegedly went through the, the, the went through the peer review process of a day, but it went through the peer review process, and it was still published. And arguably, it's going to do much more damage than than a preprint. Definitely going to do much more damage. Um, yeah, that's what so- look, people continually people continually come back to the Wakefield study. Mm. And they also continually ignore my favorite aspect of that, which is it was um, it was a bad study in its own right. And that was because of the alleged importance of the topic. It was also let through peer review. It also had about a dozen, I think there were 13 total authors. It had a dozen other additional fancy authors from the Royal Free Hospital in London 
uh, and they had a big press release and all the big normal published hoopla um, and put that out and it sat around like a bomb made of lies that managed to somehow continually explode for years and years and years. Um, so I, I suppose what you've just said is if you're talking about the proportionality of the problem, something that's really genuinely terrible but also carries the big authoritative stamp of this is fantastic uh, under a circumstance where it's very unlikely that normal peer-reviewed occurred because, as you said, a day. Mm. Um, and that is, I mean, really the, the interest around that was incredibly intense. It reminds me of um, the initial studies or like the STAP studies on stem cells or the first picture of a black hole. Mm. It was everywhere yeah. for days. Legacy media, new media. YouTube, social media, uh, link aggregators. Um, it was in public and private discussions. It was everywhere. Um, and yeah, I'm the 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 efforts that people are putting into it to study it responsibly now. Um, and there's been better studies since. Do not show the same thing. So. The other thing is, this is a point I've made elsewhere, but I think it's well worth reiterating. If you write a preprint, it's supposed to go with a component mindset. It's one thing to complain about it. Uh, this isn't very good, terrible, non-peer-reviewed study. And that's always... It ranges between a little bit and a whole big fat fucking shitload of disingenuous because the whole point of that is supposed to be the invitation to a discussion. But that's just the audience. If you write one, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to integrate feedback. You're supposed to provide context for the fact that you should really expect it to be irresponsibly reported. Because there's just there's too many there's too many layers of understanding that go between you knocking it out, um, and then your university press department presumably at some point, and then uh, everyone in the news media, and then everyone who's talking about what's in the news media. And by the, 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 the by the, the time the game of telephone is over, it turns into something. So you have to be very careful with your messaging. You have to be very responsible with what's in it. You have to go out and find people to read it for you because it's released for discussion in advance. That's in general what you when you're releasing what you think is partial or incomplete or hurried information. It's supposed to come with a component responsibility of you accepting the fact that you could have screwed up, getting more eyes on it, and treating it as a discussion point rather than a final full stop, past the point where it can never be evaluated ever again. And with the dodgy shit that's happened in the last month or so, I do not see that happening. They're being treated as really fast analogs of normal papers, and I don't see the I don't see the authors trying to chase down the idea that they need to be responsible for their incomplete, partial, or hurried information being discussed in public. Greetings, scum. 
I speak to you from a land beyond the grave. I'm just kidding. This is the mid-roll of the podcast, and I'm here to tell you about Prolific.co. Go to Prolific.co slash everything hurts, and you'll get $50 free credit that you can spend paying people to answer questions for money on the internet. The end of the day, that's what social science research is a lot of the time these days, paying people to answer questions on the internet. If you do that, you have a variety of concerns. Is my data representative? Hmm, good question. Are my participants being ethically compensated? Another good question. And can I trust the numbers that I'm getting? Prolific is a company started by researchers specifically to answer those questions on an online survey platform. And that's why we think it's a good idea. So, go to prolific.co slash everything hurts and find out for yourself. I saw a very interesting thing in a preprint that's relevant to this. I saw a preprint today and it said in the title page, do not cite without our permission. I'm not quite sure what the purpose of this would be, but one one possible reason would be, okay, let's say you want to get your permission to cite. You email, you know, old mate going, hey, I want to cite your paper. Old mate goes, cool, that's great. Can we talk about it? And then that's a way of actually seeing that the paper's interpreted correctly. I'm not sure that that's the intention. This paper wasn't corona-related whatsoever, but it's something which could easily be misinterpreted. What do you think about this idea of actually- Good Lord, Daniel, you heard of something that I have absolutely- It Not only did that, have I never seen that, it never occurred to me that you could- I mean, there's no like framework or collective understanding of how that could work. If it comes to something that is- I mean, you, you, can, you can see the logic of it immediately. So, we don't need to talk about that. The- the first thing that occurs is I wonder how enforceable that is. Sure. Um, but if you're talking about if you're talking about someone who wants to represent themselves as a responsible, and then it turns out they've cited it without consultation with the authors, um, you'd have a pretty good argument that they weren't acting responsibly. Um, that it, it breaks down when you've got someone who's fully capable of interpreting everything that's in and around the paper. I don't know if it becomes a, uh, I mean, you know, like, I mean, don't cite if you're likely to screw it up. Also, also invite some people's own interpretation of whether or not they'll screw it up, which can be highly variable. I mean, that's a really interesting, um, that's a really interesting idea. Um, I, th- I think with the correct license, you could possibly enforce that. Maybe I don't know. Um, I don't. I really. I don't think you can. I don't think there's anything. I mean, but that's awesome. It's saying people don't talk about it. Um, I, I guess they mean don't cite it in additional scientific publications. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not saying yeah. Right. Um, yeah, look, if you had some kind of informal agreement between journalists who weren't gutter-dwelling morons and people who were 
publishing complicated work that had direct public relevance, where it was highly dangerous if it was wrong. Um, I can see an informal agreement. I mean, like there's 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 already a similar kind of environment with an embargo. Yeah, an embargo is it's more formal agreement. But you're basically saying you can see this, but you agree not to talk about it up to a certain point, and that's to ensure everyone's collective access to it, rather than ensure its irres- irre- irresponsible usage is minimized. But what a fascinating idea. Actually, let's throw this one open. At least 17 people listen to this podcast. Have you heard of of that? Have you seen examples of that? Has that been successfully deployed? Because that's a, I mean, now I'm thinking about it as a part of my brain's thinking, you really should have heard of that, you scruffy goon. Like, I just wouldn't I really have would, heard of that. I was so surprised. I reread the thing three times going, is, is it saying this? So yeah, it was. Um, That's an interesting, very interesting, interesting. There's there's, there's possibilities there. Um, oh, I don't hate that at all. Yeah. Oh, I think I'll, I need I'll, to get a glass of water and walk around the garden for a while. I'll see if I can uh, dig dig it up again and uh, yeah, and, and, see and, and, if, and send, see if, see if yeah. you can. One one thing throw I do it, throw it out to the world. One thing I do want to talk about is it's very obvious that there is a need for immediacy for lots of areas of research with coronavirus, vaccine, mm. treatment, all that kind of stuff. In terms of our world, in terms of psychology, uh, I'm not mm. quite sure there is that much immediacy because a lot of the research that I'm seeing, the idea is let's understand what's happening now so we can better be prepared for the next outbreak. We don't understand the impact of um, what these isolation measures are doing um, on psychological health. Let's do this research now to understand the next pandemic. Now, hopefully, the next pandemic is going to happen for for a long while. And so, that really begs the question, why are we rushing? Why why are we rushing the results of these studies to... To sort of, it's almost it's almost very post hoc that we're sort of explaining. We, there's nothing we can do if we're saying that um, doing all this social isolation was bad. The horse has already bolted, but this is good for future pandemic. <laughs> this, this this is good for future pandemics. So, are there? Can you see any situations in terms of psychology research where immediacy? Let, 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 let's be honest. Um, we want to get. Yes, a, I, I I can. Yes. Okay. Um, let, let, let me just well, finish this thought. But let's be honest that when it comes to sort of medical research, um, I think it would be fair to say that we are happy for some corners to be cut. I'm not talking about gross negligence, but some corners to be cut in order for us to get answers quicker. And I think ethics committees would be okay with this. Ethics committees aren't spending as much time as they are usually. They're rushing through. There are so many of these studies rushing through with that understanding that we're willing to let a few things by in order to actually serve the greater good. Um, now, when it comes to psychology, is there any situations where you see urgency is, is as important as, not as important, but on the same level of importance of, say, vaccine development? Um, well, you're right. The external importance, importance is obviously wildly different. Yeah. But, yeah, two things. Um, one could be the fact that it, it may be – it may be impossible to access some data after the fact if you're doing sentiment analysis or something similar right now. Mm. 
and you don't know what will change in the future. Will that API that lets me access all this stuff change in future? Um, will the results that are only available for the last 30 days be available in such a fine-grained structure in future is one very good reason to it. I mean, it, it also it gives you certainty. That immediacy, you know? yeah. You think, okay, well, yeah, we're going to spend the next three months three months studying this. If, if it's available now and you have the facility to do it, do it. Uh, the other thing, obviously, is, Dan, it's a lot of people are recording something that's in some ways ecological momentary assessment right now. How do you, so three weeks in your house, how do you feel sitting around with your thumb up your ass waiting to die? I mean, some of it's not much less bleak than that. Um, You can't reflect on that. Mm. You're much better off asking about it now. You're much better off trying to record, you're much better off trying to record how something changes over time while it's happening. So, I mean, there are people doing observational studies now, yeah? They're not mm. going to get another one to measure. But are you talking about doing a study or publishing and finishing Pub- a study? Publishing and finishing study. I completely understand there's immediacy for collecting data now because now is when it's happening. People have bad memories. We know all this stuff. I'm talking about let's collect the data and rush something out there. Like, is it, is it going to be a massive glut of, of, the, of these studies coming out in journal? I mean, the preprints are out there. Obviously, stuff's under review um, we know there's a lot of fast-track registered reports on, on a whole bunch of different things. I saw a registered report was reviewed within seven days. <laughs> and it's great Good because the, re- the reviewers put their hand hustling. up. Well, the reviewers put their hand up saying, I'm willing to do a one-week turnaround given um, the, the the immediacy of, of, of data collection. I think, that, I think that's great. But what I'm more talking about is, is there such a rush I mean, obviously, you can make mistakes with rushing data collection early, but I think more of the mistakes are done when it comes to the analysis and the interpretation. Um, that's what I'm more talking about. Is there a rush mm-hmm. to get the data, to get the results out in the public domain? I, I'm i not sure. Maybe nothing nothing is that clear well, to me uh, other than people yeah, are drinking presumably more. If, oh, sure, sure. If you put to one side the idea that um, like, like if there's tranches of funding for for, for plague-related research being released in the next four to six weeks, that it's good to have manuscripts in front of it. If we put that rather cynical motive to one side. Um, look, obviously, I think you have a point. Um, the other thing is there is the human desire to do something about it and understand it right now. A lot of people have, you know, they have, they have a framework for which they understand how they make contributions to knowledge. And there's something that's turned up that's fit within that framework. There's other stuff that they can't do. And like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you give more, more people, more people, more information about it? Allegedly making the assumption that it's not a cynical attempt to try and capture toenail related plague funding. But I'm not sure I have that much of a problem. I'm not sure if I have that much of a problem with people who are talking about the plague in the context of their research. What I have a problem with is people who are going switching domains. Who are all, everyone's an epidemiologist all of a sudden. But if you're saying, mm. "Hey, my my research is on developmental psychology and language acquisition," I'm very curious to ask the question: Are toddlers accelerating the language acquisition because they're at home more with their parents during as mm. cause of the virus? That's fine. I think I think that's great. Uh, but people, I don't know. I think well, you you have an enormous you have an enormous quasi naturalistic study, don't you? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, like uh, all, the, all these people um, isolated with their children, having to talk to them for once. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I presume you talk to your child. Daniel, well, her, her, her I've I reached the threshold where she's saying a few Norwegian words that I don't actually understand. So she's already. She's <laughs> already better than me in, in, in some aspects. I'm like, what is she saying? I, I thought she's saying some baby word, and my wife's like, no, she's saying the broom, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it would be so great if your child said the broom, you idiot. <laughs> oh, dear. But uh, when did yeah, you look, learn to swear in, in Norwegian. Oh, I don't know. Well, that's the thing. I don't know anything about it. I know a lot of swearing and a lot about swearing in a lot of different languages. I don't know anything about being rude in Norwegian. Uh, presumably, there's, if there's any English language studies about uh, being awful in Norwegian, I'd be very happy if um, one of our presumably Norwegian listeners could link Link them below. They, they, uh, any studies you find that tell people not to cite them. Well, we we had a <laughs> we had a discussion on Twitter um, from some of our Norwegian listeners who were talking about Norwegian common Norwegian names, which are unusual to the English ear. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, some of them are beautiful. Some of them, content. yeah. There's um, there's some real interesting ones there, but uh, but maybe I'll, I'll link to the uh, <laughs> I'll link to that Twitter thread that we can find. There's, there's a few interesting ones. Y- Yes. Also, it's like read out in English. You're going to get us an R18 yeah, plus I will, recording for any podcast platform that we don't already have one on. I, I, I think I think the, the the funniest example is um the the Norwegian author um uh, Yul Nesbo uh, does crime stuff, and his main character is called Harry Hull. Everyone's like, that's a quaint name, Harry Hull, but it's it's actually not a <laughs> it's, it's it's not an unusual name in Norwegian. People are like, of course. Harry Hole, like that—that's that, his name. So there's a lot of uh, a, a, a lot of that stuff going on. Um, I, Harry, I had a Harry. Is it spelled H A R H A R I? Yeah, I don't know. But I there there, there was a guy. I, I had a mate. Well, people think it says Harry Hole there. Harry Hole. Because Harry Harry Hole sounds like a footballer from the sixties. I'm Harry Hole. Harry Hole. Yeah. But Harry Hole sounds like something from a German website of an entirely different focus. There was a I had a mate in our circles, <laughs> and and he's 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 a South African guy, and his name in his, his just the, the name that he had was Farn, F A R N. Yeah, I assume it's a common name in South Africa. But we also had some Norwegian mates, and people would go, "Hey, mate, what's hey? You know, I'm um I'm my name's, my name's Ulla. What's your name?" And you check the hand, going Farn. Which means fuck in Norwegian. <laughs> so, so we would almost for for a game, we'd introduce him to Norwegian people just to see the looks on their faces when he shakes that hand, going fun. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there, there, this, there's, there's, this is this is this is why we shouldn't have the plague, Dan, because then we'd we'd never we'd never have moments like this that bring us all together. Like we are bringing rude South African friend. Friendly, friend, friend, uh, friendly guy, the, the, the most friendly guy you'd ever meet. But he, yeah. So, but when he met Norwegians, it was always, it was always there for a laugh. It's such a, it can be such an odd experience through a day now. The, the, the late afternoon, and it's a very nice spring day. 
Is that wind? Is that wind chimes that I hear in the background? I'm afraid so. We've had to reorganise the house so we can both work normally, and I'm in the front room creating as little disturbance as possible because obviously the disturbance in this house is largely a one-way process that goes outwards (laughs) from me. So it's it's probably the nicest room in the house, but it does come with component neighbourly wind chimes. Mm. Normally, are quite relaxing, and for audio recording, are probably less than ideal. Um, but yeah, my my low noise setup is at the uh, other end of the apartment entirely. We are, we are getting a few yeah. uh, a few full hertzies coming through as well, which is always uh, always good to see. Um, pe- pe- people who are like, yeah, a, a, I saw that. Pe- I saw that. Everyone back needs to the- be aware that I don't manage the Hertz Twitter account at all for obvious reasons. And sometimes I don't see stuff like that. You have to you have to tag me and tell me that you've made incredible life achievements, like uh, listening to me talk utter shite for a hundred hundred hours, hundred and ten hours. One of our one of our episodes. I'm enormously is- impressed with. I mean, with your patience as much as anything else. It, I mean, some of those earlier episodes were were rough. Some of them are infamous now for, and not because they were interesting or particularly. No, they are qualitatively. Uh, I've you know, had people they laudable. They were kind of shite. Um, I, I had a I had a contact from someone. Uh, I think it was related to something else. Another question, and you know, in the end, they were like, "Oh, hey, I listened to the show." Um, and at the end of it was, um, "Oh, my boyfriend is Team James, but I'm Team Dan." Do you know there's teams out there, James? Apparently, no. This is this is new to me. Yeah, there's this there's is, teams. This is new to me. Yeah, um, I I don't I well I. See, and there's couples I, I can that- imagine. I can. I can imagine that um, because we've, uh, as much as we've talked a lot over a very long period of time, and we've got very used to each other, like a a, a, a kind of slightly like a bad marriage, younger, slightly more obstreperous. I was thinking more Statler and Waldorf. Um, we are quite different. Um, I've come to think of you as sort of a. Like a benign growth, where <laughs> it, it, it's you, you're, you're who, who just, put, just it put, puts up with you, accepting it. Um, yeah, well, maybe I, I'd think you probably think of me more like a, um, a malignant, drunken, <laughs> drunken house guest, or yeah, or, or a malignant growth. Thanks very much. Which means I will eventually kill you, which I You've have actually promised to do several <laughs> times, but um, I don't have the visa status that allows me to carry that out now. <laughs> Um, no, give, uh, it give it time. Give it time. Give, give it time. <laughs> but uh, no, thank, I, thanks. Had, I had no oh. idea that that would that would be. I imagine that I would be roundly humiliated if you ran a poll between those two options from ah. the official account. Because I, <laughs> I, I imagine I, that about eighty percent of people find you reasonably approachable and pleasant, and you know, occasionally, occasionally a bit dim, but uh, essentially a nice person a genuine person and i'm occasionally obstreperous so eh, there we well. go yeah, it's uh, it's it's what it is it's what it is i pretend now- to be i could pretend to be someone else but it would be an awful lot of work it's and, exhausting you know i i i have that it's so exhausting. plenty plenty of work yeah but we uh, we love getting those messages, and uh, keep in mind we, we have the uh, the merch store, which we make almost no money off. So if you're keen to get, um, I, I did send a I sent a mug 
um, someone wanted, uh, listener went, won a prize. Uh, I sent a mug like, like a month ago to someone in Perth and I got the email going, it just arrived. So things take a while, uh, to oh, do. Oh, wow. Yeah, yes. obviously, I th- I obviously think, it's delayed because I of the virus. our podcast merchandise comes under the heading of non-essential merchandise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no- yeah, I, I don't like the idea of like someone's level three biosecurity assays being held up in the post. Because <laughs> stupid mug. mug. Um, you know, drink, drink out of your cupped hands. I don't care if the coffee burns you. Go fuck <laughs> yourself. Um, yeah. I, also, whoever that is, I'm very glad you got your mug. I hope you're enjoying it. No, she she um, won a prize. She won a prize for something. I think she was a full hertzy. So we we love giving oh, right. we love giving stuff out to uh, to to the full hertzies. Um, let's give a, let's give a, let's give away another mug. Okay, um, for for first what? person f- first person replying to this uh, the tweet that contains this episode who has. Yeah. First, last, and any middle names where the amount of letters are prime numbered in all words. Why don't why not just do the first person to respond going, I want a mug. I'll listen to the episode first. Fuck you, Daniel. Prime numbered prime numbers. amount right. of letters. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to go with the first one. <laughs> it's much easier. Fine. Oh, because oh, uh, this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's 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 you have it's, a you have a you have a fun idea, and you're just out there to make people happy rather than make something pointlessly complicated and annoying. It's, it's, it's infuriating. I normally like your pointlessly complicated stuff, but that that was just over the top. But first person no, to respond, going, I was the first. I, I love. I'm 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 such a huge fan of people. Um, some people like. Because we, we regularly release actually, it, um, actually, eight o'clock. First, first person to tell us what team they're on. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. No, no, that's, that's that's much better. First person to tweet what team you're on in response to this episode will we'll get sent a mug. <laughs> You'll be <laughs> it's so juvenile. I love it. <laughs> are you are you team Dan or are you team James? Whatever your answer is, it, it's uh. it, it's it's fine. You'll get sent a mug um, wherever you're on the world, and hopefully it doesn't take. Well, actually, hopefully it does take a long time because they're prioritizing other bits of post out there. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, let, let, let us know, and and we, we love the people that listen to the episode. It, it always comes out eight o'clock, uh, first and third Monday, like clockwork, and people know that, and it's good, and people are listening to it immediately, yeah. which um, which which we love. So um, yes, let us know, Team Dan, Team James, you get a free mug. Um, but that's uh, that's all the time we have for for this episode thanks for listening we'll be back again for our next episode very very soon